final hour of the Fan Morning Show. Sportsnet 590, the fan Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning. The Blue Jays dropped three of four to the New York Yankees. And Aaron Judge, who hit more home runs in the series than the Blue Jays did? I... I, I would venture to guess that's not the first time he's done that to a team. No, but it's, uh, and it could have been, it could have been a lot more because he was, what, what you say an inch, a half yeah, inch away it's close from going from double dipping twice in the series. It was, uh, an illustration of a locked in hitter going against a team without a single locked in hitter right now beyond Bobachet. I always have to, I got to couch it. I keep forgetting about Bo. Yeah. Because everybody else is letting this team down aside from Bo at the moment. Uh, to discuss that more, we got our guy, BNS, Ben Nicholson-Smith, Sportsnet MLB editor and co-host of At The Letters Podcast. Good morning, Ben. Good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, we're doing okay. We're doing okay. So a lot to dive into, but it's feeling a little bit more like summer around these parts. Uh, with the Blue Jays, what did this series loss say about the team? Oh, man, there's so much in this series. Wide-sweeping I mean, hot takes, exactly what we bring you on for, BNS. Give it to us now. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I won't hold back. Don't worry. Don't <laughs> worry. Um, yeah, I think, you know, first of all, we definitely learned that these coaching staffs do not like each other. Uh, that's pretty clear with uh, Aaron Boone telling Pete Walker last night that he is uh, expletive crazy uh, a couple of times. <laughs> so it was caught on cameras and uh, – we all know about the antics of the, the coaching boxes a couple of days ago, um, the positioning, the shouting with Luis Rojas and Brad Wilkerson, John Schneider. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty clear. Now, there was also the question of hitting with runners in scoring position for the Blue Jays, which they did not deliver on. Um, they just didn't hit well enough in this series. You could point to Domingo Herman and the sticky stuff and the rule breaking and say that that contributed, and I wouldn't disagree. But I also think that there were times that the Yankees just pitched really well with guys like Garrett Cole and Nestor Cortez, and the Jays didn't come up with answers um, when they needed to. So that's a big part of it. I mean, I don't even know where else to go. Like the, the there's so much there's so much here. Um, but it was a dramatic series, a very interesting series, and the Jays lost three or four. So they do have to look in the mirror, even if they are mad at the Yankees. Yeah, and you you have every right to be mad. And Domingo Herman, you know, he cheated. He's going to get his ten game suspension. But you know, that's three innings of a of a series. That's not the reason why the the bats struggled. You know, one thing I've kind of been going to, and you know, I don't think it's fair to to take a hardened stance on this one way or another, but. I do wonder, you know, this was, and this isn't revisionist history for me. This was something I wondered heading into the deadline last year was, have you missed the high point of, of Alejandro Kirk's value? You know, we know he had the second half struggles that he had last year. Uh, hasn't got off to quite the start he would want offensively. And, you know, you look at the trade that was made to, to bring in Dalton Varsho. And I think part of the, part of the bet you made and you, when you couple that with the T Oscar Hernandez trade was that, well, one Varsho and two Kirk, were going to help provide some of that pop that, that, you lost do you think the team erred in in not moving on from from kirk or and and going in that route with the catcher and I, the only reason i ask that is because you know you kind of need him to be your other thumper outside of of vlad and what bo's been able to give you and he just hasn't been able to live up to that so far this year well it's a really so first of all no question he is not hitting very well and i think that even though the blue jays are working with him right now to get loaded up onto his back leg, to find ways to get balls into the air. It's just not happening. So I think that's, that's pretty clear. He's having a disappointing offensive season. Defensively, 
and this is part of the whole thing with the Yankees and the sign stealing is there were times that was he setting up too early? Was he giving some some stuff away to the Yankees? Uh, certainly his throwing hasn't been great this year. Part of that's on the pitchers, part of that's on Kirk. So he has not had a good first six weeks of the season. That's That's pretty clear. Now, we get into kind of an interesting philosophical question of should you – trade a player when his, when his value is at his highest? Um, did the Blue Jays make a mistake in not doing that? I, I think they clearly didn't trade him when his value was highest, and his value has gone down since then. I don't think if you're a big market team, you need to trade players when their value is at their highest. Sometimes I, I think you can just let that value exist on the field and play out on the field and hope that it benefits your team. And I don't think that you have to be too rays or two guardians about it and, and always be trading players before they lose value and, and try to constantly be, be cycling players off your roster before they get to arbitration. Like I, I think that for the Jays, you're going to have some ebbs and flows here. You're going to have some ups and downs and Kirk is 25 years old, very good chance. He's able to bounce back to some extent and at that point, the Jays recoup some of that value, and it benefits them with wins mm. and losses. Yeah, like obviously, Gabby Moreno is having a good season uh, over over there in Arizona, and it's not as simple as oh, well, if you had Gabby Moreno and you didn't have Alejandro Kirk, what would this lineup look like? like? You can't really do that, but I do think like the Varsho gamble like threatens to define the season a little bit because Varsho was the left the lefty bat. Varsho was the replacement in the outfield for Lourdes and Teo and a lot of talent that exited this team. And Varsho was what you used uh, or what you uh, ret- what was the return piece rather on you know your best asset, your best tradable asset, which was at the time Gabby Moreno. Uh, it, it just seems like this gamble. When things are going wrong, it's going to really, really be underscored because he's in the middle of that lineup. He's not hitting, and he represents the mushy middle, which has really, really let this team down. And if I'm looking at the quarter poll, like I think it's safe to say this isn't as good of an offensive uh, offensive team as it was last year for sure. But I think the question is really how much worse are they compared to last year? Oh, yeah. I mean, they're definitely worse. And last year they were a very, very good offensive team, same as 2021 when they had Marcus Semien. I mean, they're, yeah, they're worse this year, for sure. I mean, the fact that, you know, you have Vlad Jr. go down and all of a sudden you're kind of looking to the bench and it's pretty rough on the bench right now. It's You're not getting a lot of production, especially on a day that, you know, Kiermaier's uh, battling an illness as well and you're just trying to patch it together. Espinal not hitting, Vigio not hitting. So um, there's no doubt. And then you get to Varsho, who... You know, like you say, you gave up a lot for him, and he's a player in his prime. And it was very reasonable to expect that when you take a player who hit 27 home runs while catching part time, then you take catching off his plate. It was reasonable to expect that he would step forward offensively to some extent. So I'm not saying 40 home runs, but let's call it 30. You know, mm-hmm. to go from 27 to 30 to be an above average hitter. You didn't give up Gabriel Moreno Jr. and Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who's also having a very good year with Arizona, just to get a good defensive center fielder, a good defensive left fielder. And by the way, Varsho is so good defensively, and he was great again last night in center field, making a great catch, playing balls off the wall. He's, he's tremendous out there. But mm-hmm. you don't make that trade just for a defender. You make that trade for someone who's going to hit. Now, 
six weeks is too early to totally write him off. And um, I, I know you guys aren't doing that. Uh, I think it's time for the Jays to continue working with him and, and try to make the most of the next four years with him because uh, he's, he's someone who's very, very important to what's going to happen with this team. Yeah, and I think such a big part of him being the guy, like you mentioned his age there, is that he was somebody who could kind of fit in perfectly with what you consider to be the you know the core of this team, not just for this little mini window here, but for hopefully the long future of Manoa and Vlad and, and Bo. Uh, obviously, Manoa has struggled a little bit this year, but I, I want to talk to you about Vladdy, and I want to be clear, it's by no means fair to put this on him. There are elsewhere in the lineup that's struggling, like we've talked about, but Vladdy hasn't quite been the MVP Vladdy, and how much of that is just a... A player like that is going to have the month eventually this year that pulls his stats to kind of where you expect them to be. But I mean, you know, I've seen a lot of people saying, well, you know, judge did this in the series and look what Vladdy did. Now, I don't think it's quite fair to compare basically any hitter to Aaron judge right now, but is it, I mean, think about the way we talk about Vladimir Guerrero jr. Think about how he was anointed. Think about what he's capable of. I, again, I want to be clear. I'm not putting the team's offensive struggles on him, but if he's not quite the, the guy that you need him to be. And I, you know, Ben, I know you're a hockey guy or you're a baseball guy, but you'll get this analogy. It's a lot like the lease with Austin Matthews, him being fine is fine, but you don't need him to be fine. You need him to be great borderline transcendent. And I'm wondering if Vladdy has quite lived up to that yet this year. And if there's any concern there. Yeah. I, you know, I think the concern with Vladdy is just simply with the health. Um, and he was able to pinch hit yesterday, as you guys know. So that's a good sign for his knee. That's, that, to me, is where the concern begins and ends. I think you're right, though, to say that he's not hitting at the level we saw in 2021. He's not hitting at the level of an Aaron Judge um, or a Shohei Otani, and he's not a truly you know, transcendent, you know, the way Ronald Acuna is right now, where he's hitting home runs every single game, and he's on pace to steal 60 bases, and he's just such a dynamic offensive player for Atlanta. Now, those guys are the leading MVP candidates in baseball right now. And so Vladdy has that ability. The Blue Jays, you know, it's one of those things where you can't expect him to be an MVP candidate every single year. And, you know, part of me is like, I, I also I also want to temper this and think like, okay, he's got a 900 OPS He's playing really good defense. He's posting up pretty much every day. Like, how much do we want from this guy? Mm -hmm. And at the same time, if you're going to win the World Series, if you're going to have one of those special years, who better to step up and take it to another level than Vlad? So, you know, I I think he's doing his part. I I think the, you know, really, if we're talking about this team, the the guys who need to step up are probably more along the lines of Manoa, Varsho, Springer. I mean, George Springer's making $25 million a year. And he's a veteran player who should be in his prime, and he's got a six-something OPS. I mean, that's where, and that's nothing against George Springer. I fully expect he's going to bounce back. But if we're looking for questions, I think it's more Manoa and more Springer, even though I I do hear your point about Vladdy. I think one of the problems about the offseason strategy for the Blue Jays, Ben, is which was like, okay, we got surplus, let's spread things out, let's optimize, let's check all the boxes, let's sure we have a balanced team, is that it kind of leaves no room for error. Like, and and I, 
And when I'm looking at it, like clearly this team needs like a little bit of an injection of talent, I think, to its offense if it's going to keep up in the American League East. And we're probably not having those discussions in earnest for a couple weeks now. But I just don't even know how they can look at this lineup and really improve it. Like reducing uh, Alejandro Kirk to a bench role doesn't really accomplish anything. You guess you could eat Brandon Belt's salary if he's not delivering, but that's not the best way to run things. You can't really do anything in the in the outfield. Second base, yeah, you got all these options, but you can't really you can't really add a fourth option there. Like it just seems like there isn't an easy avenue to actually improving this lineup. Do you see one? Not really. I, I think you mostly stick with the guys who you have and you work with them and hope that Kirk or Varsho or Springer, I mean, those are three hitters who are well below their career norms. And you have to think that um, there's more there. So you work with those guys to make that happen. You're not going to go on the trade market and find someone as good as George Springer out there. So you, you work with your own George Springer and Varsho and Kirk and Jansen, who and Jansen really is showing signs of turning it around. His contact's been a lot better in the last week. He's obviously got a couple walk-off hits. So, you know, maybe that's a step in the right direction. Now, you know, the solutions, as you say right now, are not going to be so available in the trade market. There's nothing in free agency. So you look internally to your own farm system. And really at this point, if you were going to go to AAA, you could you could call on Spencer Horowitz, and he's a first baseman at AAA who's off to a good start. And I do think if Vladdy had had to go on the injured list, Horowitz could have been a guy that you take a look at, 25 years old. And then beyond that, you've got a utility player uh, who's in his late 20s uh, named Ernie Clement. And that's not a prospect. It's someone who could come up and fill a gap for you. And he's also off to a good start. But I don't know that you're going to turn to Ernie Clement and say, Hey, our offense is, is underperforming. You know, save us this utility player at AAA. I think yeah. the answer is you gotta you gotta have your guys step up internally. Yeah, some some tells me uh, that 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 guy whose uh, name I'm just hearing now is not going to be uh, the the be all and end all and save the day. Not that I'm saying you're uh, you're you're saying that, Ben. Uh, we've gone thus far. And we've mentioned his name, but we have not delved in on it. Uh, let's talk about, I'm sure, your favorite topic these days, Alec Manoa and the mystery box that has been his struggles uh, to, to start the season. I mean, we can go big picture looking at Manoa of if there is going to be a big-time regression, what does that do for the Jays' long-term planning? Obviously, he's a big part of that, but I want to keep it kind of more in the uh, in the here and now. What does it do to this team? Like, does it completely nuke their chances of making the playoffs, of competing in the playoffs? If Manoa, and I'm not saying he's going to be this guy, but let's say he just doesn't find his level and he has kind of his Kikuchi season from from last year. What does it do to the Jays? Does it completely take them out of really thinking about being World Series contenders? Because I'd love to tell you that I am buying what I'm seeing from Kikuchi and Barrios has taken a step. And I have like Bassett and Gosman, but I refuse to believe that this team can go where they want to go if Alec Manoa doesn't find find something close to his level? Yeah, I think they could. I think it gets a lot harder. Um, you know, I, I think that winning the East is going to be really, really tough if you don't have a significant improvement from Alec Manoa. I think, you know, at a time that six teams make the playoffs in the American League, the Blue Jays can and still should be one of those uh, teams, even if Alec Manoa continues to struggle uh, like this all season long. Um, I mean, they're in playoff position now. I think that they could continue doing that um, even if Manoa uh, continues to struggle the way he has. But, you know, of course, 
you'd rather he was an option for you in the playoffs. You'd rather he was someone that is is a starter uh, for you in playoff games, not someone who's you know on the edges of the roster. And, and I do think that right now, if you had a playoff series, the three starters that you'd probably go with if if they were all rested, Gosman number one, obviously Bassett number two. I think that's pretty clear. And probably Barrios, who was pretty good last night against the Yankees. So, you know, that's that's fine. That's that's a pretty good group of three starters. You can win major league playoff games with that group, no doubt. So that's where I think, you know, they're capable of getting to where they want to go. Um, but then it puts a lot of pressure on those three. And, you know, the more options you have, the more depth you have, the better and and certainly Manoa is pretty far from where he was last year at this point is the leash for Manoa as long as he wants it to be like is there any is there any recourse to, can you do anything but run him out there every fifth or sixth day uh, at some point you got to consider long-term impact long-term damage if he just cannot get this sorted and continues to regress uh, yeah and I think all those <clears throat> considerations are are um factors for the Blue Jays. I mean, they're, they're thinking about this um, with respect to how can they get this guy on track um, for, for his career, of course, and for this season. Um, you know, a lot of that is behind the scenes day to day. Manila is certainly working on things, just hasn't resulted in, in better, um, better on-field results. But, you know, I think a lot of it comes down to command um, for him. And, and that's something that can be, a challenge to to regain clearly he's having trouble finding it but yeah as for recourse i i think you can shorten the leash on him um you can start him you know he'll start saturday against baltimore and i think you want to have a contingency plan behind him you know you're not going to let him allow six or seven runs and totally take you out of a game um if he's out there and he's struggling in the third or fourth inning and maybe a few runs across the board I think you shorten the leash. I think you go to the bullpen earlier. And I think you plan accordingly and make sure your bullpen's rested. And maybe you keep Thomas Hatch around an extra day or two um, instead of optioning him for Adam Simber, just to have that in mind. So, you know, you want to have a piggyback option with him. Um, and I think, that's the, I think that's the step for now. And where that leads, if he continues to struggle, there would be more adjustments and there would be more steps that the Jays could take. Is that maybe the Mitch White role when and if he comes up that he just gets paired behind Alec Manoa and he's kind of the failsafe if if uh, if Manoa can't get you some meaningful innings? Exactly. And I think, you know, if and, and White's dealing with some shoulder soreness, so it sounds like he's going to um, he won't be available uh, for this weekend. But, you know, I thought that that was kind of the way to do it. And then if Manoa needs a breather um, let's say you want to you know whether it's putting on the IL for example let him get off the roster for a period of 10 days and then you have someone like a Mitch White who's on that day who's who's on that rotation now that's looking a couple steps ahead at this point I'm not saying the Blue Jays are going to do that especially with Mitch White not available so I think the focus is on Saturday you try to get Manoa through Saturday as well as you can against the good Baltimore offense and I think you have to go into that game prepared to have, you know, the bullpen eating a bunch of innings that day just because Manoa's command has not been there. I, I think the answer to this question will, will be no, but I'll ask you and you tell me, uh, is there any connection between, and I don't mean immediately in the, in the next week or so here or even month or so, but is there any connection between Alec Manoa's struggles and when Ricky Tiedemann pitches for, for this ball club at the big league level? 
Uh, no. Yeah, I don't think so. I mean, except for, yeah. I, well, first of all, I think, I think Tiedemann is probably not close to, to pitching at the big league level. He's, he's slated to be back on a mound again um, after missing some time with bicep soreness. That's a good sign for the Jays. They want him on a mound. They want him in game. But, you know, between the minor nagging injury stuff he's dealt with, uh, he just hasn't been able to to really force the Blue Jays' hand. Um, and they're going to be careful with his development to the point that he's not going to be called up for sure. a need. He's going to be called up when he's ready. So I think those things are mostly disconnected. But, you know, of course, there's always a slight connection because uh, if a spot opens, then that can that can accelerate things, you know, for that last 5% of the decision. The uh, BGO toxicity level, uh, it's probably reached its peak in the market. I guess it would have actually hit its peak had Danny Jansen not lifted that one out of the ballpark to give the Blue Jays their only victory against the Yankees. But, like, is it something that's seeping into sort of the process for BGO day-to-day, for this team day-to-day? Is he, is he you know, at least separate from that? Or is this something that's kind of needs to be addressed sooner than later here? It's been a rough start for Kevin issue. I mean, I think there's no question about that. You look at the numbers offensively, his OPS starts with a four. He's striking out a ton. He's not walking. So I think everyone who's watched the Jays this year is aware of that. And uh, that includes, of course, the Blue Jays coaching staff. So that's done, though. What's done is done. And now it's a question of how do you build the best bench for the series against the Orioles? And to me, Kevin Biggio is still one of the best bench options that they have in the organization for the series against the Orioles. And yeah, I mean, you could make the case that you should be calling up an Ernie Clement. You could make the case that, um, you know, I, I don't know, Aurelis Martinez from double A, you want his, his power. Like I, I, there are different players that you could, that you could push for. To me, I, I think that Biggio is probably there. And I think, that doesn't mean you can't find ways to improve this bench. And this bench has been a problem for the Blue Jays. And I think as they move ahead, it would be really interesting to see what it would look like for this team to acquire an outfielder, either a left-handed hitter or a right-handed hitter, who can who can take some of the at-bats that Kevin Vigio is getting. Then maybe Kevin Vigio slides into more of the Nathan Lucas role, where he's pinch-running for Brandon Belt. He's pinch-running for Alejandro Kirk. I know he was picked off the other day, but he's a very good base runner totally capable of filling that role and offering some versatility, then you option Lucas and you have another bat on the bench. So, you know, that's me hypothesizing that's, you know, maybe, maybe we're a couple months from that point, but yeah, I, I totally understand anyone watching this team and they're frustrated by what Kevin Biggio has done. And I just think at the same time, he can do some good things on a baseball field. And so I don't think that you're necessarily going to improve things by just reacting and making a cut on that basis. Yeah, I think a lot of what you say is right there. And the criticism that I've heard, and by I've heard, I mean I myself have levied at Sean Schneider, is that the pro- there would be no problem if Kevin Biggio was Nathan Lucas, but will John Schneider allow that to happen? We know managers of all stripes, whether it be in the sports world or just in a business, they have employees they trust. They have their guys. I think it's pretty clear to say Biggio is one of Schneider's guys. And I think that's the the worry about him being around is that if he's around at all, Schneider will find a way. What do you make of that idea? And I, I and I have no problem with it. You you have a guy that you trust and he can play so many different positions, but maybe Schneider goes to him a little more often than, than you would like. Well, what do you make of that criticism? 
Yeah, uh, you know, so, so far to this point in the season, Kevin Vigio is averaging one and a half at-bats per game. And, uh, you know, I don't know if that sounds like a lot or sounds like a little, um, but... Sounds like half an at-bat too much for me, personally. Yeah, you know, it's, yeah. So it's, and I think if you have a little bit better health from your position players, better results from your starting position players, better results even from a Santiago Espinal then you're not going to Biggio as much. Part of the reason he's playing is Nathan Lucas is over the season. Santiago Espinal is hitting everything into the ground. Danny Jansen and Alejandro Kirk for most of the season have, have really struggled. So it's not as though the Blue Jays have this awesome bench that's just brimming with offensive talent. And then in the face of that, those 900 OPS hitters, John Schneider is going to his, his buddy. Like, that's not what's happening. It's the Blue Jays are searching for answers. They're looking wherever they can get. No one has, except for now Danny Jansen's coming around, but no one really has been producing offensively. And so in that context, they're trying everyone here and there. If and when the Blue Jays can get some production elsewhere, John Schneider's not going to, regardless of the history, regardless of what he might think about Kevin Bishio as a person, He's going to go to who's producing. And that's because the the imperative is there to win games. And, you know, I would be stunned if Kevin Biggio is still batting one and a half times per game if Santiago Espinal had an 850 OPS. Like, I just think part of this is a product of what's happening around him. Yeah, at some point, these players got to make the decisions uh, for the manager. And to this point, it's just like we're grasping. We're trying to find something. There's just not enough. Whether it's talent or timing, you're just not seeing enough of it at the moment. Uh, Ben, this was fun this morning. We appreciate you jumping on. Looking forward to seeing the Orioles this weekend. It should be another great weekend at the ballpark. We shall chat soon. Uh, Thanks again for coming on. You got it, guys. Thanks a lot. That's BNS. He dropped two Ernie Clement references and now i'm pining for an ernie clement i don't know about you i just want a clementine that's what i would like <laughs> that's where i that's where my mind went on that uh, I we're could in use summer one season we're inside you know what it little is little pop of acidity yeah i was uh you know i was getting i'm a I'm, i like to make some concoctions i'm a bit of a mixologist once the summer rolls oh, around like you? i'm strictly red wine in the winter and then like beer wow. or some drink that i've been mixing and uh yeah there was a there was a clementine like whiskey type beverage going around for me so yeah that's why that's on the brain for me okay. right now Okay, I like I think uh, like the Clementines most in like December, a little okay. bit of a Christmas. Yeah, definitely some pop. of that. Yeah, red wine though. I, I'm just not a wine guy. You're Can't not. A, I I like I don't know what happened. I turned 28 and it was like the second it got below seven degrees outside. That's all I I have. Wow, I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah, I don't know that most. You people learn something would. when you do two weeks of radio That's true. together. It's true. Waking up at, at four-ish in the morning and talking to a guy for three hours, it'll it'll bring people closer for sure. So a reminder, the Blue Jays do kick off their three-game weekend series against the Baltimore Orioles tonight at 7 on Sportsnet 590. The fan, it is unfortunately, at least for us who love Dan and Buck yeah. and Apple TV games. You know so, what Dan and Buck would say? Night off. Night off That's probably okay. works for them. That's okay. Dan and Buck will be back in Those action over the weekend, though. guys have seen baseball games in their life. They could take one They off. have. Saturday and Sunday, they'll be, uh, they'll be on the call. It'll be Grayson Rodriguez and Alec Manoa. Saturday, Dean Kramer, Kevin Gosman. Awesome handle. He sounds and, like a movie star <laughs> from the 40s. It seems like a mismatch when it came out of my mouth, but we shall see if that's the case on Sunday. But tonight on Apple TV and on Sportsnet 590, the fan in the Sportsnet app, it'll be Kyle Gibson and Yusei Kikuchi our guy. Uh, looking forward to seeing the Orioles this weekend. 
You're, see what they're also like they're doing at the major league level, yeah. but apparently their AAA team is just like absolutely wiping the floor with everyone every night. Like, like their their uh, run differential, I think, was something like one hundred plus one hundred twenty three. The next best was like plus ten. Like they are absolutely the Harlem Globetrotters out there <laughs> in AAA. So that uh, the, Portens, Nor- the Norfolk Tides, yeah, they're, what a handle that portends good things, I think, for the Orioles as they try to continue to supplement their existing talent with more future talent at the major league level. Yeah, uh, Oreos, they're a wagon. It's coming. Uh, apparently no team in the AL East could ever just stay bad for a while. Uh, they they tried it out and said, you know what? Not for us. We'll do we'll do that raise thing and just have an endless pipeline of great prospects. Obviously, Adley Rutschman, kind of the tip of the spear for them in that mm-hmm. regard. But yeah, it's a, uh, it's a great team. If they get pitching, it'll be scary. But how many times have we heard that in our life? We will do a mini wake and rake after EJ Raddick joins us to talk a little bit more Canes, a little bit, a bit of a tee up for the Western Conference Final, which begins tonight. And we'll talk again about the Toronto Maple Leafs with EJ. We'll do that next. The best Blue Jays show out there, period. Blair and Barker. Be sure to subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, final block, fan morning show. Sportsnet 590 fan Justin Cuthbert and Brent Gunning this morning. Let's get to our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. That insider is EJ Raddick, senior reporter at NHL Network co-host of NHL Now, which airs weekdays from 4 at 4 p.m. Eastern on NHL Network and Sportsnet. Good morning, EJ. Good morning. Good morning. Late night for everybody here in the East. Uh, it was a late Just night. A bit. It was actually an average night for me because I'm a coward and did not even attempt <laughs> overtime. Uh, how was it? Tell, tell us about overtime. Who dominated? Spin did the right team win? EJ. Tell us. Uh, yeah. Like, how did the Florida Panthers pull it off again? Oh boy! I'll tell you what it was. Uh, it was a lot of really good goaltending by both guys. Freddie Anderson uh, was terrific. It's uh, and Bobrovsky. I mean, Bobrovsky right now looks like just almost unbeatable. I mean, the two goals last night were uh, power play goals. One was at the end of a five-on-three, right, and then uh, one on a great tic-tac-toe pass uh, on a power play as well. But uh, he was lights out good again, and uh, really, it just ended up being a uh, you know, just a, a mistake. I think of fatigue near the end of the near the end of the fourth overtime. Flavin uh, just throws it off the wall in the neutral zone. Give the Florida Panthers credit. It was Kachuk and Bennett again coming in and really a, a strong forecheck by those guys forced a turnover. Bennett with a nice little area pass to Kachuk and and he finishes. Uh, I got the sense, guys, watching it. I don't know if the listeners who stayed up and watched it would know as well, would feel that way. But I just got the sense Florida was eventually going to win the game just based on the chances in the four overtimes. They just seemed like they had a little bit more jump as things pushed further and further along. And uh, they're on one of those runs. I mean, what, they've won seven straight on the road. They've won all these games in overtime. So right now uh, everything's coming up Florida Panthers. Yeah, I'm definitely a little surprised uh, to to well, I I uh, I wasn't as much of a coward as Justin. I did make it through one <laughs> overtime, uh, so I did see a Congrats. bit of congratulations. Thank you. Congratulations. I, you know, well, you, I, listen, you guys have to get up at like four o'clock, yes. or some ridiculous time to do the show. <laughs> so I'm going to give you guys a little bit of a pass. Okay, that's uh, that's very very kind of you. Uh, yeah, when I it's it's interesting to hear though that the Panthers had the fresher legs because just looking at the way the ice time was kind of doled out, obviously Florida a little more of a top heavy team 
team. I mean, Carolina, they might be the most balanced team in, in the NHL. Forget left, just just in period. They might be the most balanced team. So I was a little surprised by that. You know, you mentioned everything that Florida's done. They're now 5-0 in the overtime in the playoffs. I mean, obviously, the, probably the biggest part of that is just Bob. But do you think there's something about them as a team that allows them to, to play better in overtime or get the right result? Or is it a little bit of just kind of dumb luck and a great goalie? Well, I think the the latter does not hurt in either case, right? I mean, to have Bobrovsky playing as well as he's played uh, is is a huge thing, and and having a little good fortune certainly helps you. But I, it seems like they attack overtime. I mean, that's their that's their mantra, right? They talk about you know trying to attack uh, the extra session, and 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 they really do, or in this case, four extra sessions. But um, I think they really do. I like I said, I think Carolina had some chances. Carolina had some power play opportunities in the overtimes. Uh, they had they had a couple of really good chances themselves for sure. There was some there was some swings, but as it seemed to go longer, it just seemed that Florida had the better of the chances. And if it wasn't Freddie for, for for Freddie Anderson making some really terrific saves, uh, it could have been a shorter evening. They got the uh, the benefit of what I thought was a good call on the goaltender interference play early in the in the first overtime. Um, but in the end. Uh, you know, Bennett and Kachuk get the job done again. I mean, Kachuk came in hard on that forecheck, kind of forced uh, forced Burns into a decision. He went to reverse it, to slave it, and there was Bennett right there to, to create a little bit of a turnover, and that's how they scored. So, uh, yeah, Florida, I think just their approach in overtime has been really good. And once you have success in those situations, guys, I think you just feel like in that room you're going to find a way to get it done again. And, and afterwards, the Panthers – Guys talked about, hey, we're having fun on the bench. We're really feeling good about it. So it's just I think the confidence level is really high for them in those situations right now. Yeah, they're hitting all these checkpoints, right? Like you get into the playoffs, that's a checkpoint. You beat Boston, that's a checkpoint. You beat the Maple Leafs, that's another confidence checkpoint. Like it, the, the meter is full right now in terms of confidence for the, for the Florida Panthers. Uh, in situations like that, I think it does show. Uh, let's spin it forward here to the Western Conference Final, which begins tonight on Sportsnet. Uh, I'm, I'm fascinated here with the goaltending battle because because you got Jonathan Quick sitting on the bench. You got Laurent Brossois unavailable uh, for the Vegas Golden Knights, which means it's Aiden Hill versus one of the best young goaltenders in the league, but one that hasn't performed all that well through two rounds, despite the success the Dallas Stars have had in Jake Ottinger. I-, I wonder if that's like this is the series, the goaltending battle, and whether or not Ottinger can create meaningful separation for the Stars in the head-to-head matchup with Aiden Hill. Yeah, I think that's going to be really important. And, uh, you know, Jake Ottinger, he's had, yeah, he's had a couple of down efforts, but he's also had a, a many really strong efforts as well. And he just doesn't lose uh, two in a row. I mean, that's been something that's gone on all season with him. I think he's something along the lines of 22-1-3 or 23-1-3 after a loss this season going back into the regular season. So, so that's a huge plus for for Jake Ottinger. You're absolutely right. He is one of the best young goalies, one of the best goalies in the league period right now. So that could be an advantage, but uh, he's going to, they're going to have to, it's going to have to be consistent. Like you mentioned, and uh, the stars are going to have to find a way to get to Aiden Hill. Who's who came off the bench against the Edmonton Oilers due to the injury to Brussois and played very well himself. And, showed an ability to uh, to not get flustered in games. I mean, in that clinching game against Edmonton, he gave up goals on the first two shots, and then he didn't allow another goal the rest of the game. And he's a big goaltender that has played well at different points of his career. He played well during the regular season. He had some injury issues and now kind of 
in this year of a plethora of goaltenders for the Vegas Golden Knights. It's his turn again, and, and he's played well. I'm, just, I'm kind of fascinated by the series because I, I just think, I mean, you have these two teams, they both within recent years, within the last five years, have gone to a cup final and lost. And while the teams aren't totally intact from those teams, I think there's only six Vegas Golden Knights, that there is a, a little bit of a base there of, of teams that know what it likes Know what it know what it feels like to suffer that kind of loss near the end of the season. Plus, they have veteran guys on each team that weren't there, but know that this might be their last kick or their last best chance at winning a Stanley Cup. So, I think there's going to be an extra layer of intensity in this series. I think I, I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah, it's interesting with Vegas the way they've built their team. I mean, obviously, everyone was a little surprised coming out of expansion of just how good of a team they were able to build. And for as successful as they've been, you know, unless I'm forgetting someone, and I know Bill Carlson had the the first year where he was a 40 goal man, but until they got their hands on Jack Eichel, they've never had what a lot of people refer to as the most important thing in the NHL, and that's a true number one, number first line center. You know, Chandler Stevenson, very serviceable player, but he's not that guy. What do you think it's done to the Golden Knights to have this kind of foundational piece in Jack Eichel? And again, not that they haven't had extremely talented players. You look at Stone, you look at Pedrangelo, Pacioretty before, before it turns south there, but Jack Eichel is kind of different. He feels like that kind of young foundational piece that it's a weird thing to say about an expansion team but they've never really had yeah you're right and and a lot of teams don't have those particular guys i mean i think at any particular time in the nhl for me over the years there's about 20 or so true number one centers and we can always argue about who fits into that and who doesn't but roughly that's the number and so some teams and some teams over the years have had two i mean pittsburgh has had two with crosby and malkin right for many years so uh, it's hard for, for a lot of teams to get that that type of player. And that's why when Jack Eichel became available, obviously there was a lot of interest. Vegas made it happen. I think the two acquisitions that Vegas was able to make to kind of settle their roster and, and slot everybody beautifully was to get Eichel, which gave them that true number one center. And he's been playing terrific, guys. I just love the way he's playing alongside uh, Barbashev and Marcia. So right now, I mean, he has been a real... 200-foot player, and I just think his game has been terrific. But he gives them that number one center that slots everybody behind him really well. Now Chandler Stevenson can thrive on that line with Stone and with Nick Waugh, and then you have William Carlson, right, who, who as you pointed out, in that first year was a, was a really good offensive center and a great 200-foot player. But he's more of a, of a really good two-way center, I mean, more of a two or a three and a, a great uh, matchup guy. You saw even even the Oilers were looking to get Connor McDavid away from him. I don't know about, about doing that, but the bottom line is he's that kind of player. So it set everybody up really well within their within their group of forwards. Then the other one was to get to get Petrangelo, who is the number one defenseman, who sets everybody else up on their group of defensemen in a right order. For me, Vegas, as I looked at their team, even when they got Eichel last year, I knew last year it would be tricky to get him because of the injury issue and then trying to join things in progress. But with a full training camp and, and a full season, he has settled things through that group of forwards. And Petrangelo has been that number one defenseman. To me, they're first-line players. They're first-line players. They're slotted all right through their group. They're slotted really well. And I think that's why they're so difficult to play five-on-five five because they can just roll those guys at you.
Yeah, you may have convinced me there, EJ, but my my kind of read on Vegas was even despite having that number one center, this wasn't the best version of the Vegas Golden Knights that we've seen in their in their very brief history. Like they have lost a lot of talent and they've had to make some really difficult decisions to get Petro into the fold, to get Jack Eichel into the fold. Uh, they've had to, you know, make concessions elsewhere on the roster, but uh, my where my mind was going because yeah I, I i i do think that they're not quite or not not as quite as complete as maybe they once were in a lot of ways my mind goes to bruce cassidy and the job that he's done getting over the hump against yeah. the edmonton oilers making jack eichel not the jack eichel that we saw in buffalo where it was kind of more about jack eichel than anything else at times at least it seemed and and a guy who's completely bought in i mean he's producing over a point per game but he's leading from the front in all ways and i do feel like bruce cassidy should get an immense amount of credit for what has happened in Vegas this season. I completely agree with you there. I think Bruce has done a, a great job. I think Jack has matured as a player and I think that happens when you've had several seasons in the league and you've gone through something really significant like being traded from a team that drafted you so high, going through a very significant injury where your career was kind of in jeopardy. So I think he was certainly ready to take another step. I think he supported really well in Vegas like he wasn't supported in Buffalo, and that's just the where things were at with those two franchises uh, in, in, their, in their timeline. So uh, I agree with you, though, that Bruce Cassidy has done a terrific job. He's a really good coach. He's been a really good coach for years now. I mean, he came out of the scene with Washington. He was a young guy. He had to learn, didn't go great, not surprisingly. Went to the minors, did a lot of work there, kind of matured into a really smart coach, learned a lot of lessons, was great in Boston, was – I mean, let's face it, if Jordan Biddington doesn't stand on his head in the first period of Game 7 uh, in the 19 Stanley Cup Final, I mean, Boston probably wins the Cup, and, you know, Bruce Cassidy's already got that on his resume. He's done a great job. It was probably the right time for him to be out of Boston. It was just he, the voice was, good, was, it was kind of wearing on guys there. But like with all these coaches, I mean, I think sometimes you just come to an end in one place. It doesn't mean you're a bad coach. It just means that you need a new opportunity, and, you need a new group to work with. And so I think he's been terrific there. They play a great five-on-five -five game. But I would tell you, though, Vegas was great in that first year. But the reason I think at the end of the day they don't win is because you look at cup winners throughout the history of this game, you really got to have that slotting, that proper slotting, that number one center, that number one defender. And I don't think, even though I love their team in that first year, uh, it's hard to win when you don't have those guys in place. And uh, in the end, the Washington Capitals, when you think of the Capitals right that year, Kuznetsov played great, and Backstrom is obviously another great player. I think that was a key advantage point for the Capitals and one that helped them end up winning that series in five games. Uh, hearing everything you said about Cassidy there, and uh, just because he needs to go somewhere else doesn't mean he's not a good coach. I personally, myself, yeah. I think that applies very much to the guy who is, for now, the bench boss here in Toronto, uh, Sheldon Keefe. Uh, just getting your outside thought on it. It has been a weird week here in Leafland, continuing to wait to to see what happens. Uh, what What's your read on the Leafs and the, the kind of limbo they, they find themselves in now, EJ? Yeah, it is really interesting. I've been, you know, we're waiting to hear is Brendan Shanahan going to speak? Is he not going to speak? I mean, this isn't a he, this isn't a, a wallflower. I mean, this is a guy that played in the league a long time and uh, was someone that you know is uh, pretty adept at, at speaking to the media. So obviously, something is you know amiss. You heard uh, Kyle Dubas talk earlier in the week, and you know his personal challenges uh, with uh, how things have gone and 
thinking about uh, dealing with his family. But, you know, they've, they've got to come to some resolution here. And, you know, I do feel for Kyle because I would imagine the pressure in that in that position is is intense and there's so much scrutiny from the fan base there. So uh, I'm not kind of sadly, I'm not surprised in this era that, you know, it would take a toll on, on his family, especially a young family like he has. So um, we'll see what Kyle does. If I were running it there, I think that I would con- I would continue to go forward with Kyle because I think he's learned some lessons and he's gotten better. And I think that that's promising. I thought what he did this year was, was uh, gave them, I think, a much better chance to win. Unfortunately, some of the mistakes of the past still kind of haunt them, and they're going to have to work through that with their salary cap situation and, and the roster. Uh, as far as Sheldon Keith, I think it was probably time last year to move on from Sheldon Keith. And again, it's the same thing I said about Bruce Cassidy, and you could say it about a lot of coaches. Look at Pete DeBoer. They moved on from him in Vegas. He's gone to Dallas. Pete DeBoer is a really good coach. He just It was time for a change there, and it's worked out in Dallas. Maybe for Sheldon Keefe it's time. Maybe for a, a kind of separation from from Kyle Dubas. Maybe go out, try to kind of chart a different path, maybe get another opportunity. And I think for those Leafs players in there, it's probably time for a different voice. So Because, again, I mean, it's going to be difficult no matter what they do moving forward with their roster. And they've got some significant decisions to make moving forward with two of their star players, and most significantly Austin Matthews. Uh, having one year left on his deal. And you heard what we just talked about, right? I mean, number one centers, winning with those players. I mean, Austin Matthews is one of those guys for me. So you better make a decision as terms of what you're going to do. And I, I kind of I find it hard to imagine that if they decide to move on from him, that they can replace him. So for me, I, I think that's obviously a really significant decision for them. I'd say the clock is ticking, but the Leafs right now are working on their own time. Hey, EJ, uh, we appreciate yeah. you coming on this morning. Thanks so much. You got it, guys. Have a great day. Uh, you too. That, are, that is uh, EJ Raddick, uh, our insider, brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus. We can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Let's hit a quick wake and rake. Wake up! Now it's time for wake and rake. You could be raking in the dough with your kind of accuracy. Show me the money! With Alish and Justin. Uh, I will quickly run through the anchor submissions. We've already made our pick. Corey from Port Hope just had to send one in. It was going to be chosen after he carried us through two weeks of neglect when it comes to the wake and rake. But let's share some picks anyway. Sure. Uh, Ron and Jules, back from the Dominican Republic, an update on their vacation. They Must went two nice. for two yesterday. Must we neglected them nice. yesterday. They say keep it rolling, though. They like to heat the heat to cover eight and a half. That's Jules. And the over five and a half stars and golden nights. Funny enough, the over five and a half is my pick. Between the Stars and Golden Knights, uh, I think there'll be a feel-out process. I think Aiden Hill's in net for Vegas, so <laughs> I, I'm thinking Dallas might get a few, and I don't think it's going to be a blowout by any means. So over five and a half is also my pick. Uh, K-props in the wake and rake from Cal the K-Man in Kitchener. For overs, he likes Joe Ryan over six and a half, and Reed Detmer's over five and a half. And unders, he likes Oviedo under four and a half, and Cal Quantrill under three and a half. Uh, that was under for Oviedo. I think I said over there. Um, so just a couple over-unders that uh, Cal, the K-Man, and Kitchener likes. Wake and Rake from Chris and Moncton. Kikuchi over 15 and a half outs. And Jake on the 407, loving the Heat to cover nine, expecting Boston to bounce back. But the Heat played hard. Yes, they do under Spolstra, and they are well-coached uh, to prevent that blowout. Anything else you like there, knowing that we are going with Cor- Corey-, Corey from Port Hope, which likes or who likes 
the Dodgers on the money line. Uh, love, love, love my man Jake on the 407. I think Ron and Jules gave us that one as well. Uh, I've been down on the Celtics in this series. There's infighting going on. I was against them last series. Uh, yeah, heat to cover, maybe heat to win. So, yeah, that's the other one that jumped out for I me. do think Boston's going to get this one, but, I, again, I'm with everyone. Like, the heat play hard. The heat are not going to get embarrassed. Nine is a big, big, big spread. So, uh, we are going with the Dodgers with Tony Gonsolin on the mound. Mm. Um, I like the over five and a half. I'll let you close out the parlay. Yeah, Ryan Mountcastle. He absolutely tortures the Toronto Blue Jays uh, over one and a half bases. All you need is a double. Him getting plunked or the thing he always does, hit a homer. In his big league career, he needs about 20 at-bats to get a homer. In his big league career against the Blue Jays, it's 11 and a half. That is how mm. much he owns this team. If you bet Ryan Mountcastle to homer in every game this weekend and then stop once he does, I think you'll make some money. So I'm not taking him for that. Just give me the over one and a half total bases, but side bet, go bet Ryan Mountcastle to take your team deep this weekend. That with the Dodgers and the over five and a half in game one of the Western Conference final gives you plus 570. A quick programming note, you'll be back on Monday. Yes. We, you, we are doing a show from seven to 10 on the holiday Monday. Ailish will be back on Tuesday. Blue Jays Talk Plus begins on Monday, uh, taking over a little bit of a rejig schedule on Sportsnet 590, the fans. So make sure you check the schedule because uh, it might be a little different starting next week. Gunner, this was a fun couple weeks and we'll do it again one more time on Monday. One more time, golf show tomorrow, me and Sam McKee. Last programming note, it's been a blast. Have a good weekend.